Boy, am I excited about being with you today. Look at this beautiful set I've got here. Christmas trees, poinsettias. I love the color. I'm going to fix that backdrop behind me and get the, the bookshelf look revitalized into something more festive. All right, there, see what I mean? Now I'm with the bookshelf again. Anyway, it's okay. The content of this broadcast is well worth the investment of your time. We have revelation. I've got a revelation for you today. I have a revelation. I was just with Jesse Duplantis uh, doing, uh, doing uh, like one of our Flashpoint programs earlier today. And we were talking about what's the Lord saying for the future? Got Hank Kuhneman and all my, my friends are there. Jesse says, God told me for 2024, tell the people, give God a job. <laughs> what a wild statement. Give God a job. Who gives God a job? But it resonated. What are you believing for in this year that's a God-sized thing for you? Give God a job. Don't live within the margins of the predictable faith that you've already got that could do this or do that. Give God the big assignment. If God is at work in you, putting a desire in you, I've learned something. A verse I discovered it says, for God is at work in you both to willing to do his good pleasure. It's in Philippians. For God is at work in you both to want to and to execute what he wants you to do. So if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, I'm not as, I'm not as 100% all the time as I want to be victorious. But I'll tell you what. God's on my mind all the time, 24 hours a day. I'm seeking first the kingdom, the best I know how. And I learned something. If you'll seek first the kingdom, the best you know how, God will drop over into you, into your desire, something he wants you to do. But then your faith may not be in your history big enough to do that thing. So you might just not be going for it. But this year, give God the job. Lord, this thing that keeps coming up in me, I believe now, I heard Lance talk, I believe this might be coming from you. If so, keep it coming, keep it coming, keep it, if it keeps on coming, I'm putting my faith out on you to make that thing happen. Show me what I've got to do. Show me where I've got to go. Show me what I've got to change. And then get ready, because God's going to put you in a series of divine appointments. You're going to hear the right thing. Be at the right service at the right time to hear the right revelation. You're going to meet the right person in a parking lot or going in the checkout counter. God will arrange the divine appointments. He'll give you the information you need. He'll set things up. Give God the job of the big thing that you have not had the ability to do yourself but only God could do and partner with God to make it happen. And I'm going to partner with you this year as we do that. I want you to Get a hold of my teaching on divine appointments. We're going to break it out today. It's, as you can tell, I'm on fire with this thing right now. It's a revelation. Divine appointments is an art of walking in the rhythm of the supernatural in a very natural way. You're in the ordinary day and God suddenly does something extraordinary. It always happens that way. He overtakes you when you're doing the mundane. Boom, and a divine appointment shows up. I want you to visit lancewallet.com forward slash divine. I want you to partner with me for any amount. I don't care what, what that amount is. I want to send you, I want to give you our divine appointment teaching for your gift of any amount. 
You hear me? Any amount, get the teaching. Call, if you're listening to this message, 1-800-910-6349. That's 1-800-910-6349. And get a hold of this divine appointment teaching. While we're on our way here, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. Interesting verse. The great wise Solomon, the wisest man, and the wealthiest man, I might argue, that ever lived. Whatever your hand finds to do, he says in verse 10, do it with all your might. In other words, whatever you're called to do, whatever your passion is, when you're, whatever your will to do is, give it everything you've got. Because there comes a point where death comes and there's uh, no activity, no knowledge, no device or wisdom in the grave where you're going. What a morbid kind of philosophy he had. One wonders, I want to get inside, I want to find out as I go into this, how can a man of that much wisdom not have a more optimistic focus? I think that much wisdom brings much grief if you don't have much God. And he had, remember that, he had a period of time where he was backslidden. Now, the wisdom was still his. He still had, still smarter than everybody else in the room. But without God, he didn't have the most optimistic view of things till he got his life back with God. His many loves got him distracted from God. I returned that I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong nor bread to the wise nor riches to the men of understanding. Now watch this. If the battle doesn't always go to the strong, and the rewards don't always go to the wise one. And riches don't always come back to the guy that has the understanding. And the race isn't always won by the fastest runner. How do you explain that, Solomon? He says, look, nor favor to men of skill. Notice how skill and favor are linked together. When God gives you an ability, an acumen, a competency, a gift of the Spirit, it automatically comes with favor. Favor will flow with the gift God gave you. For man also doesn't know his time. There he goes down again, like a fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. But I want you to, what I want you to catch is he's cognizant of the limitations of life. And it's depressing him because he sees that on this side of the veil, there's only so much you can do, and then you leave everything you've done. All the wealth he has is going to go to someone else who could be a nut job and waste everything he's done. He built this great empire, and sure enough, his kids are going to screw it up. That, that's basically what he's kind of complaining about. But the reason I'm starting with this verse is so powerful that if it's true that the race isn't always to the swift and the battle to the strong, then he's implying there's something capricious going on. There's something that's not cause and effect related. The smartest guy doesn't always get the promotion. The, uh, you know, the most beautiful contestant doesn't get the beauty prize. What's going on here? I'm going to tell you, this is where the teaching on divine appointments comes in. Because what God will do is he will put down one and put up another. The other one was the logical choice, but God puts in who he wants. The other one was the popular choice, but God puts in who he wants. The other one was the man's choice, but God has something born after the spirit. The first one's born after the flesh. The second one's born after the spirit. And the one that's born after the spirit, even if persecuted by what's born of the flesh, it'll still come out on top. Why? because the hand of God is upon certain things to happen. And I want to talk about part of that is the, the genius of the divine appointment process where God sets things up in advance. That's why that lancewallet.com forward slash divine is so important for you today to get this. All right, I want you to go to um, Acts chapter 23. We're going to do a quick study in 19 minutes of four types of divine appointments that God will set you up for. Acts 23, 
19. I do love teaching. You know, this is in my bloodline, my father's side of the family. I come from a long line of, on my daddy's side, of rabbis that teach the Torah. Imagine that. I come from the tribe of Levi. You are actually in the presence right now of a teacher, a Holy Ghost tongue-talking teacher from the tribe of Levi. That's why I love Revelation. My spirit resonates with Revelation knowledge. And my children are that way too. And my brothers are both professors. It's a teaching thing our family has. We love it. We love the knowledge that comes with Revelation. Chapter 23 of the book of Acts, we find that Paul is in big trouble. He's arrested and an assassination plot has been planned against him. He's going to be killed. And uh, the following night, as Paul is pulled in by the commander and locked up in a prison cell to protect him from the mob that's trying to kill him. The following night in verse 11, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you've testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness in Rome. Write this down. Divine appointments are aligned with your prophetic purpose. Prophecy, or God's purpose, is connected to the appointments. The appointments exist because you're on the path of a prophetic purpose. If you're not on the path of a prophetic purpose, I can't promise you divine appointments. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath saying they would neither eat nor drink till they killed Paul. How's this one? It's one thing if you get a group of people together. It says in verse 13, there were more than 40, more than 40, 45 grown men that hate you so much they're not going to eat. They're not going to drink until you're dead. Basically, they plan on bumping you off within 24 to 48 hours. And 45 of them have sworn they're going to kill you with an oath that puts them under a curse. If you don't die, they will. Because they won't eat and they won't drink. Ha! Every one of them was thinking about that oath with their first meal. Because they didn't get pulled. Now watch this. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed the conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we we bound ourselves under a great oath, under an intense covenant of cursing. We are committed to this. No, we're going to eat nothing till we've killed Paul. How weird that the religious leaders said, oh, very good. Now, you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that uh, Paul be brought down to you tomorrow. Well, just to you, not to us. We look, we look like we could kill him. But to the religious, let him come in there to meet with you. And uh, then, uh, as you're going to be making inquiries concerning him, but we're going to be ready. On his way there, we'll kill that sapsucker. Then we'll go have dinner. Verse 16 is your divine appointment. And guess what this divine appointment is? It's not you. It's somebody near you who is loyal to you. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered into the barracks and told Paul. Paul's sister's son. Oh, a little lad, about 10, 11, 12 years of age, probably sitting around the 45 are talking about, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do. Just sitting there. Nobody thought he was going to be significant. So he goes to his uncle Paul. This is his sister's son. 
And he tells Paul, there's like 45 of them, a whole bunch of them, they're going to kill you tomorrow when the priest called to examine you. And he told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. It's interesting that Paul didn't tell the commander what the message is of the centurion right there. Because why risk having the centurion get paid off to set up an execution? Take this young man to the commander. So he took him to the commander and, uh, and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. The commander took him by the hand. I always like this beautiful picture. Takes him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you're supposed to tell me? He knew it was secret. That's why he took him aside privately. And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him in this case he's on. But do not yield to them. For more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they've killed him. And now they're ready and waiting for the promise from you to kill him. The commander let the young man depart and commanded him, shh, don't tell anyone that you reveal this to me. I'm going to do my own plot. He called for two centurions, prepared 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Be like around midnight or two or three in the morning. I'll have to figure that out. And he called them over and they provided mounts to set Paul on. So Paul gets on a horse with 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen marching. And you can imagine what those 45 assassin terrorists from Hamas were thinking when they watched this army take off with Paul in the middle of them, kind of waving to him as he goes by. And they take off all the way to Caesarea. And... Uh, the centurion saves Paul's life. It's a, I, I'm going to stop right there because it's, it's a great story about how a divine appointment was set up that saved Paul's life because a 10-year-old overheard a plot. So divine appointments are sometimes the things that God puts other people into in order to protect you, preserve you, or put you in the right place. Think about that. I'll prove to you another one right now. Go to 2 Kings chapter uh, 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 in the Old Testament. We're going to go to the prophet Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 5. This Bible study is going fast. We only got like around 12 minutes. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now watch this one. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. I'm in 2 Kings chapter 5 reading from the New King James. And because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. I won't even go into that, but God was even reaching into a foreign army and giving victory to certain people. God's taking credit even for a Syrian's general's conquest, not even an Israeli. And he was a mighty man of valor, but he had leprosy. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. They went out and kidnapped a Jew. And while she's there, she develops a friendship with Naaman's wife, the general's wife. She said, if only 
Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were, the pro were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of this leprosy. If only my master. She identifies with her new boss. She says, it's too bad that my boss isn't in Israel. We have healing ministries where, we, where I grew up. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, uh, thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. There's somebody there that can actually do healing, and there's enough stories we hear that it might be something to it. The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing, a king's ransom to pay for the operation at the Mayo Clinic or whatever he's got to do to get healed. He brings the letter to the king of Israel. Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you heal him of his leprosy. Well, guess what? The king of Israel gets, he goes, my God, how am I going to heal the guy of leprosy? I don't have the power to kill anyone or make him alive. You know what he's doing? He's trying to set up a pretext for invading Israel. He's going to be offended and he's going to say, you didn't do what you promised. I'm going to come take away your country. And so he's looking for a reason to quarrel with me. Totally paranoid. And that's not what's going on. But notice the prophet is going to get involved with politics because he's got a healing ministry. It's all about divine appointments. Pay attention. So it was when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let, me, let him come to me. He's going to know there's a prophet in Israel. Obviously, there's a king, can't do anything. The prophet will get it done. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot. He stood at the door of Elijah's house, and Elisha didn't even come to the door. You talk about chutzpah, this proud man. He sends a servant, probably sends Gehazi. And Gehazi says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh will be restored to you. You'll be totally clean. What? It's not even a very prestigious river. This isn't even a great place to go. And, and Elisha himself didn't even come. And say it. He sends, a, he sends one of his staff to go answer the general. God was in it. I don't know if it's possible for our, our prophets. I know our, our prophets are, uh, can hear God, but man, it takes a lot of prophet to not go to the door and meet the other general and try to be an ambassador for Jesus. Yeah, the Lord told him, don't go, send him. Because I'm humbling him. But Naaman became furious and he went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, I expect him to come out to me and stand like a majestic prophet and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over me and do some kind of a, you know, a heroic gesture like a prophet of God would do and then zip, all the leprosy leaves me. And he went away in a rage. And his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet told you to do some great exploit, like go climb to the top of a mountain and get an eagle's egg or a feather and come back, wouldn't you have done that? How much more then, I'm adding that in, by the way, how much more when he says, just go dip into the Jordan and wash yourself? So reluctantly, Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, probably five times fuming, six times frustrated, seven times, according to the saying of the man of God. He comes up and he looks down and his flesh was completely restored like the flesh of a little child. Where was the divine appointment there? It was the abducted girl working for him. It's the 10-year-old overhearing a conversation 
That was the divine. The divine appointment happened to someone else in order to set you up for what you're going to do. I, I pray for divine appointments to come upon you, your family, your co-workers. I'm serious. The breakthrough you're looking for, you're thinking, it's about me. It's, it's not about you. It's about someone near you that's critical to your breakthrough. The servant girl was the divine appointment. Had she not been in the house, Elijah wouldn't have been able to do the miracle. I got five minutes. It's hard for me to do this. Genesis 24. You getting all these ideas about how this works? Genesis 24. So far we found a few things. Employment happens. It could be youngsters. It could be somebody who looks like they're in a bad situation, but God's using it to position them for influence. Joseph had that in Egypt. He didn't even know what he was doing there until God revealed to him what he was doing. But those were all divine appointments. These are the fingerprints of the way God does stuff. So Genesis chapter 24, it's time for Isaac to have a wife. Abraham calls in his servant and he says to him, the Lord, verse 40, chapter 24, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel before you and prosper you in your way. Now you're going to find out angels are involved with these divine appointments. I'm confident the angel that's with me is going to go with you because you need a divine appointment to find the right girl for my son. Can't be just anyone. Has to be chosen by God because Isaac has to have the right wife because it's a divine lineage coming out of him. God's got his hand on my family. So the servant takes off and uh, he goes traveling, 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 traveling. But what I want you to see here is that uh, when he takes off, chapter uh, Genesis 24, go up to uh, verse 12. He made his camels to kneel down out by the city by a well of water, and he prays, the servant does, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. I'm standing by a well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please draw down your pitcher and let down your pitcher and give me some drink, and not only me, but all my camels, let that be the one you've appointed for your servant. Now he's set up. I don't even know Pentecostals that'll do that. It's like I'm putting conditions on this. I'm sitting here. I want you to send the right person by divine appointment. And the test is, I got all these camels. They're all thirsty. They all need 20 gallons each. She's going to haul all that water. She doesn't even know who I am. She's going to voluntarily do it. The person who is willing to serve a stranger with that degree of graciousness and hospitality, that serving spirit will be the bride for the son. What does it tell you about the bride of Christ and Jesus? Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the promised Isaac. Abraham's like God the Father. He offers up his son Isaac. Jesus is like, Isaac is a type of Jesus. And this woman is a type of the bride of Christ, willing to serve. Sure enough, Rebecca comes along and he says to her, would you be willing to get me something to drink? Yeah, how about my camels? Boom. And the woman was beautiful to behold in verse 16. She was a virgin. She went down to the well. She filled the pitcher. She ran to meet him and he gets, she gives the, and she takes care of the camels. And uh, she quickly uh, emptied her pitcher and ran back. She was eager. She was doing, running, drawing well for the, drawing water for the camels. And the man 
wondered at her, remained silent to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous. But what did Abraham say? My angel's going to go with you. The angel was the one that said, hey, put some zeal in this thing. She just had a sense that she really needed to go all out with this thing. Well, the man bowed down his head and worshipped, verse 26. And he said, oh my gosh, this is a divine appointment. This is a divine appointment. And he goes to meet her brother, her father, her uncle, and her family. And he says, the Lord behold before whom I walk, my boss said, verse 40, he says, he's going to send his angel, going to prosper you, going to get a wife for my son. I think this is her. And then the servant brings out jewelry and gold and clothing and precious things and gives to her, to her brother, to her mother. Everybody got gifts. That's the thing I, uh, you could teach on this too. The gifts of God will come as a result of the divine appointment. But I'm getting way over my head right now. I just want to stop and say, Rebecca was a divine appointment that showed up at the right time, but an angel set it up. Paul's sister's son, a young child, divine appointment, saved his life. The uh, servant of uh, Naaman's wife, the Syrian general, an employee, set there by divine appointment in order to open a door for the prophet and building new relationships between countries. Now let's go to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I want you to see something. I'm going to pray this for you. This is a great story where the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and told him, arise and go down south of this road to go meet an Ethiopian. Now the Ethiopian who was a treasurer was just riding through. But the angel of the Lord gave directions to Philip to be at the right place at the right time to encounter this Ethiopian treasurer and to go up and run to his chariot. And the Spirit of the Lord said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. He said, hurry up, hurry up, hustle. Sometimes you got to run to get in alignment with your divine appointment. Don't always think that, well, if it's the Lord's will, it's the Lord's bill. Sometimes the Lord's in it, but the calibration is a little gap. Run and get up there. And so uh, if you'll push up there. Here's what happens. He gets to the divine appointment and the man's ready to be saved. And the Lord whisks Philip away from there. God will set you in proximity to your appointment and then tell you hustle to get in alignment. Father, I pray for everyone that is watching the show today that you will make us able to receive your will, your thoughts, your desires in our heart. Give us the ability to surrender our own agenda every day and to be open to divine appointments. Lord, I pray that you remind every one of us that there's really no such thing as an interruption, that some of the things we think are inconveniences are actually divine appointments. I ask you to remind everyone listening of this teaching this week as you divinely by angels set up appointments for them and their family in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you getting a sense that the divine appointment business is like Ecclesiastes says, the battle isn't always to the predictable outcome because God himself will put his finger into the equation and he'll put up what he wants to put up and he'll shut down what he wants to shut down. He'll promote what he wants to promote. And I believe God will do it for you. Call 1-800-910-6349 right now or visit lancewallon.com forward slash divine for your gift of any amount. I want to partner with you. And you can partner with me, and we'll partner together for your divine appointment. 
I look forward to seeing you every week on this program. God bless you. Did you enjoy this latest episode? Please remember to share it with your friends because the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to navigate the world.